Good morning, Foothill Church. Our scripture reading this morning is found in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 15. Please stand for the word of the Lord. On the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take her not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, nor he shall be, but, excuse me, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, yet they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. This is God's word. You may be seated. Um, well, hey, we, you already heard uh, from just the scripture reader. We're going to be in our uh, Bibles in Exodus again. It's been a minute since we've been here. And so uh, we are back to it. And we've had a few series in between uh, since kind of the, the end of the spring when we left off in Exodus 18. And so today we're back in Exodus 19. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there and we'll catch up a little bit. All right. And so as you're turning there, let me just pray for us as we jump into God's word. Uh, God, thank you so much for, for Exodus. Thank you so much that it is a picture of the gospel in many ways, that as we can consider what you are, are doing, what you did through the people of Israel and how we can learn uh, from that. And so God, I pray that as we open up your word, as we study these, these, these scriptures, Lord, that you would make this alive to us, illuminate the scripture for us, and help us apply it. Uh, I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. 
All right, well, hey, we are looking at Exodus 19, and just to catch us up a little bit, so um, if you've been with us, the first 18 chapters of Exodus, we've spent quite a bit of time just talking about um, God's people, the Israelites. And so if you recall, they were in slavery in Egypt um, for about 430 years. There's, there's a long period of slavery God's people um, were in. And so um, over time, there's been this season of change, really, in the last uh, two months in, in the, in the story line for the people of Israel. And so there's this new leader who comes, comes aboard, Moses, who um, God has used to bring the people out of Egypt. Uh, we see all the plagues happen. We see um, Pharaoh's heart be hardened and softened and hardened again. And, and we see God deliver the people out of slavery, uh, delivering them um, to the promised land. That was the promise that is in front of them. And so as we kind of have gotten started in the last few chapters, we see that they are walking through the wilderness. There's this huge crowd of God people walking through the wilderness. Uh, God is leading them by day and by night. Uh, he's, he's sending food, literally manna from heaven. Uh, water is coming from rocks. We see enemies being defeated. We see new leaders being um, kind of anointed through the process. And so here we are in Exodus 19. And what's important about Exodus 19 that I just want to point out right away is that chapter 19 is transformational um, in the way that we view the rest of Scripture. It really is. I'm not overstating that. Chapter 19 gives us a picture of the gospel. I know we kind of say that a lot around here, but it's very clear if you kind of lean in and understand what we're reading today, there is gospel implications all throughout this chapter. Um, because we get to this point where God delivers his expectations of living uh, and how to be a person of God for Israel and then also for us. There's going to be some application for us as well. And so today we're talking about covenant. We're talking about specifically the Mosaic covenant and how this stretches from Exodus 19 all the way through about 24 um, in, in Scripture. We haven't talked much at Foothill Church about covenant. This is something that we don't talk about very often. And covenant is incredibly important for how, especially the Old Testament Christians, viewed their relationship with God. Um, in, in many ways, we are operating off of, um, in, in Jeremiah, the new covenant and how Jesus came to save us um, as a result of that. And so we kind of understand that aspect of it. But for years, there were actually five major covenants throughout the Old Testament that are brought up and really important to us. And so um, if you're maybe new to this, let me just kind of review real quick. So Noah, um, there's the Noah covenant in Genesis 9. Abraham has a covenant in Genesis 12. We're, we're talking about Moses' covenant in Exodus 19. Uh, King David has one in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and then the New Covenant in Jeremiah 31. And so I, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about uh, covenant specifically, but I do want you just to understand this about what a covenant is. Okay, so three things. What is a covenant in terms of uh, the Bible and, and Old Testament relationships? First, first thing is this. A covenant is a binding agreement between two parties. A, bind, a binding agreement between two parties. And so in this case, between God's people and God himself, this is a, a binding agreement saying, hey, we will both hold up our ends of this, and that's how this stays in place. The second thing about covenant it's important to remember is that it is unique in nature because God is unique in nature. In other words, if I make a promise to somebody, basically make a covenant, right, kind of a lighthearted covenant with someone and say, hey, I promise I will do this. I will uh, pick you up from the airport. Hey, I got you, man. I'll pick you up. I'll be there. Well, it's a really good chance I'll be there, 
but something could come up, right? Like I could sleep in or uh, there's traffic along the way and I might not hold up my end of the bargain. Well, when you are in covenant with Yahweh, with God himself, that is a unique type of agreement because God is in his in his own character, he is truthful. He is perfect. He has all resources. And so when you make an agreement with God, it's different than making an agreement with people because he will 100% keep his promises. And then finally, the last thing about covenant that's important as we consider this is that covenant with God is unique because it was meant to preserve God's people and to really give people a, a better view of who God was and his glory all throughout history um, and time. So that was the, the reason for covenant as we consider that in Scripture. And so today we are looking at the Mosaic Covenant, this unique covenant that Moses has offered. And so here's our main idea this morning. It's kind of summative in nature, but the Mosaic Covenant helps us remember how we are saved, who we are, and what God expects from us. That's what we're going to see this morning in Exodus 19. Moses' covenant with God, with the people, reminds us how we are saved, how we're delivered from our sin, how the people were delivered from slavery, who we are, and what God expects of us. And so as we jump in here, let's firstly, let's figure out where we're at and kind of why we're here and, and, and read 19, 1 through 2 one more time. So the, the Israelites have, uh, have arrived to this area uh, near Mount Sinai. They are at the foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, look at Verse 1, on the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from the Rephidim and, and came into the wilderness of Sinai and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. So there's some repetition here. And I think it's important you understand that uh, this is not exactly probably where the crowd thought that Moses was taking them initially. So uh, first of all, on the third new moon, they're about two months from leaving uh, Egypt. Only two months. So they're kind of walking and they're under the understanding that, hey, God is leading us to this new promised land, this area that, that Moses has been talking up this whole time. It's like, hey, we're, we're out of Egypt. We're out of slavery. We're going to our new own land. And, and here they are actually in Sinai. So if you look at a map or if you kind of know about this at all, the Mount Sinai is actually not near the promised land. It's actually the opposite direction of the promised land. And so there's probably a guy, probably a guy like me, who'd be like, hey, um, this is frustrating, Right. Well, why are we going this way? We're supposed to be going the other way, and God, you have us going this way. Is, is Moses not competent? Is, this, you know, is, somebody not, is somebody not ready to lead in this way? Why are we headed in this direction when it says clearly that we're supposed to go the other way? Now, if you look back at your Bible, if you have a pen or a highlighter, I'd encourage you to pull that out, underline or highlight the word wilderness. Verses 1 and 2, they came into the wilderness. They came into the wilderness of Sinai. They encamped in the wilderness. They encamped before the mountain. I, I don't like to camp. Um, I don't like to hike. Uh, I mountain bike. And uh, I tell my buddies oftentimes when I mountain bike, it's kind of this happy medium because it's like I'm in the wilderness. I'm in nature. But I'm also like flying by and through nature at the same time, right? Like I don't have to hang out there and, and be there. So there's this element, again, we're heading the wrong direction. We're in the wilderness camping for a year. What is going on? Like, what, why can't we just get to where we're supposed to get to, right? Like, there's this element, well, why, why God, what are you doing here? Why are we in the wilderness? And yet God, in all his sovereignty, 
and all his power, he chooses to put the Israelites in the wilderness. Remember, God, who was, yesterday, he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God who does miracles, who, who allowed Jonah to be spit out of, of, a, of a whale, and how, I mean, he, he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, right? God has every access to every power available. He could have chosen to take the Israelites to Disney World, like to, you know, to Tahiti or Maui or Yosemite, like any of these places for kind of a bit of a retreat. And he chooses the wilderness. So why is that? Why does God bring his people to the wilderness? Well, I think because he, he wants them to learn something. And he wants us to learn something in proximity. You see, I, I think sometimes we are under the impression that the Christian life is meant for us to feel safe. That's the point of the Christian life. And that's not the case. That's not true. Sometimes I think that we think the Christian life is for us to be happy or be fulfilled or experience joy all the time. And there's certainly joy in the Christian life. Absolutely. But that's not the point of the Christian life. And I think here in Exodus 19, verses 1 and 2, we see that God is, is trying to help the Israelites be in this situation where they have to put their trust in him. They are required to put their trust in the Lord, not in their own resources, not in leadership, not in their ability to get things done. But God is asking them, hey, will you trust me? Because trust will be a prerequisite for covenant. Trust will be this, this, this bottom line foundation of, hey, in order for us to enter into a relationship in this way, you have to trust me. And we see this all throughout scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, that we wouldn't trust in our own understanding, but we trust in the Lord with all our hearts. John 14, 1, trust is incredibly important when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. And so I would just ask you this morning, maybe you can relate to this in some ways. Uh, are, are you in the wilderness? Do you feel like you are in a season of life where you are perhaps here and, and yet it's kind of dry and it's hard and everything you do, everything you put your hand to just seems like it takes a little longer than it should. And, and so if that's you, if you feel like you are in this wilderness setting in your own life, then I would just encourage you to, to look to the Lord because it was God who put you there. It was God who said, hey, you need to trust me in this season and just lean into that church. And say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you have me here, but I will trust you through it all. So that is the setting that we find these Israelites here as they uh, consider their own uh, work moving forward. So let's talk about the, the covenant itself. And we get into this in verse 3. What we see, first of all, is that God is going to spell out his saving work through this covenant. God's saving work through this covenant. Let's read verse 3. Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. So in these, this really that verse 4, that one verse, we see a full rounded version of, of how God saves people. And there's three parts to what I want to point out. Three parts to God's saving work. First thing I want you to see is God's righteous judgment. God's righteous judgment. You see this when he talks about what he did to the Egyptians. And you just have to flip over a few pages to your left to realize that God destroyed Israel's enemies and allowed them to be delivered from Egypt by destroying these people. Now, if you're new to church, if you're new to Christianity, or maybe it's just been a while since you've read Exodus, I realize that 
no one likes to talk about God's judgment very much. Uh, it, it feels a little bit kind of like, oh, uh, that's kind of an area of the house that we don't want to show newcomers, right? It's like that one, that's that one drawer in our kitchen, and it's like just kind of messy because we don't understand how to organize it. And, and the, the truth is, is that that's based on our limited understanding of judgment. That's really what that is. Because God's judgment is perfect. God's judgment is is, is higher understanding than our judgment ever could be. And so we see judgment through our experience, through the eyes of, of who's in charge and how they're getting things wrong in our society or whatever kind of our mind goes to, right? We also have these kind of weird ideas of judgment. Like I think about junior high and those girls who would just like sideways glance at everybody and just judge people, right? It's like, that's what I think about, right? It's this anti-virtue of like, you don't want to be called a judgmental person at all. Or if you've ever taken the Myers-Briggs personality assessment, like, nobody wants to be a J, right? That's like, what does that even mean? Like, some of you guys get that, some of you don't, that's fine. But that's based on our understanding of judgment. Because at times, it's like, well, uh, my understanding of judgment is not good. It's not, there's flaws in it. There's issues with it. And so even on our best day as humans, the Supreme Court justices, they get it wrong sometimes. And, and so we get frustrated by that. But the point we're making here is that God's judgment, his ways, his wisdom, his execution of decision-making is perfect, and we can kind of see a limited view of that sometimes, but if you look back in Exodus, we realize the only way that God would have delivered uh, the Israelites from Pharaoh's hands is to destroy those, those Egyptians. And it was righteous judgment, which God is not lacking in. The second thing we see about God's saving work is this. We see deliverance happening. And deliverance is perhaps one of the greatest themes all throughout Exodus. It's this amazing theme because we, we know the story that God's people was in, were in slavery for all these years. And God delivers them. And, and, and he says this about how he described it in verse 4. That I bore you on eagles' wings. What incredible imagery. That I bore you on eagles' wings. And you get this, this picture of this, I don't know, this gigantic eagle, this bird, and just like loading up people on the back of that bird and, and setting off to safety. God carried us. That's what he's saying. That I, I carried you when you couldn't carry yourself, when you couldn't walk yourself, when you couldn't do what you needed to accomplish. I carried you. You know, being a parent, um, uh, I, I realized that there's times when our kids want us to carry them. And there's times, honestly, where our, our kids, you know, my kids like my, my wife better than me sometimes, or vice versa. Uh, and there's just, that's just the reality of being a dad, is you notice that. And so sometimes my, my daughter or my son will, will stretch out their, their arms and say, hey, will you carry me, right? Because they're tired, or we're at Disneyland, or there's some aspect of like, I've been out all day, will you carry me? I'm tired. And so what do we do as parents? We, we pick them up and carry them for hours sometimes, right? And, and science proves that, you know, a, a sleeping toddler, you know, just increases their weight by like 200% immediately, right? So, so my wife is carrying this like sandbag in her hands for hours. And again, why do we do this? Why do we carry our kids? We carry our kids because we love them, because they ask us to, because they need to be carried. And this is exactly what God does to the Israelites. He says, I bore you on eagles' wings, Meaning that the Israelites did nothing to deserve this carrying. They did nothing to, uh, to try their best and, and, and God took them the rest of the way. No, God saved them when they couldn't save themselves. This is God's delivering work. 
And the last thing I want to point out here at the end of verse 4, and again, if you have a pen or a highlighter, uh, he not only bore them on eagles' wings, but he brought and brought you to myself. How I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I love the phrasing there in Exodus 19. Because so much of God's saving work actually results in a nearness to God. There is a proximity that is anew when God saves us. Man, this is incredibly impactful because how often do we sometimes think that, you know, by, by making a donation online or by kind of virtue signaling in that way, it's like, hey, I'm going to save somebody or I'm going to help someone with something from far away. And that's good to do, but God takes us to a whole new level. I think about my own story of adoption. I was adopted from Korea uh, at the age of three. And um, there's, there's this beauty of, uh, that I've realized in my adulthood that how, how that adoption story really runs in parallel so many ways to my spiritual life. Because my parents, my parents could have simply just prayed for me from afar, from here in California. Uh, that that would have been wonderful to get their prayers. Uh, my parents could have given money to this orphanage and said, hey, make sure that he's got what he needs and, and sponsored me in that way. That would have been great. My parents could have actually uh, paid for me somehow to get out of that orphanage and into a foster care system or kind of on, on my way to, to living a normal life. That would have been wonderful as well. But my parents didn't just do those things. My parents adopted me and brought me home and gave me a room and said, hey, you have fridge privileges. And said, hey, this is your house. You can do what you want to because this is your home. And this is exactly what God does when he saves us. He doesn't just save us from afar. He gives us access. That's amazing that, that the God of the universe would save us and bring us close to himself. And this is what he says in verse 4, that I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Ephesians 1.5 says it this way, in love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. And so again, why does, why does a parent carry his child? Why does a parent uh, adopt somebody like it? It's because he wanted to. It's because he brought, it brought pleasure to the Lord. It's because he brought joy to him. And so because of those reasons, God wants a relationship with us and he delivers us and he saves us. The second thing that I want you to see through this covenant is found in verse 5, because God not only saves the Israelites, but he also gives them a new name and a new purpose. God gives them a new name and a new purpose. Look, look at verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, we'll come back to that in just a little bit, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. God is saying, I own the entire world. It's all mine. And you are my treasured possessions, and you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Why do the Israelites need a new identity and purpose? You know, why? Why is that a part of the deal? Are they just kind of high maintenance and they just decided to like, you know, I remember when Ron Artest from the NBA, he changes his name to World Meta World Peace. It's like, what's going on? Like, why, why change your name? Do you just have like a need to be seen differently or whatever? No, but God, God sees there's something happening here that's unique to the Israelites in this season. And he says, I'm going to give you a new identity. Well, what's the purpose for that? Why is that? So can you imagine for a second being the Israelites? And after 430 years of slavery, 430 years of being taken away from their home, their ancestral lands, they are put into slavery for all those years. 
And in the last two months, they go through this incredible change of being delivered from slavery, having a new leader in Moses, seeing all these miracles happen, and now they're out in the wilderness. Think about how traumatic that would be. Think about all the confusion they're feeling, all the, the angst they're feeling. Uh, I, I, the only thing I can think of is, is how we've experienced in the last you know, year and a half, two years, COVID-19 has changed a lot of things for us, right? Uh, I can still remember the, the first idea of like, okay, I have to get used to Zoom. I have to get used to parenting uh, and seeing my kids all the time. I have to get used to relationships and community. And there's so much about this last year that has kind of retrained our, our muscle memory in different ways. And it's like, I used to do things this way, and now I have to relearn it in this context. And it's just been 18 months, two years. And it's permanently changed some of the ways that we've thought about the world. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to overstate this, but COVID-19, hopefully, will perhaps be the most impactful thing that ever happens in our lifetime. I kind of hope that's the case, right? That nothing else happens. But the truth is, is that was just two years. And I know it's still going on and they're still back and forth about it. I realize we're still in the midst of that and people are, are suffering from that. But can you imagine being in slavery for 430 years? Can you imagine forgetting who you are and having your identity be misplaced in, in that deep of a way? And God is saying here in Exodus 19, hey, you've forgotten the promises I made to Abraham. You've forgotten who you are as a people, that God has called you to greater things than this. And so he says, hey, I'm going to give you a new identity. You will be my treasured possession. You will be a kingdom of priests. What does that mean, by the way? A kingdom of priests. Well, priesthood was a very specific role throughout Scripture. Um, Aaron and Levi and, and Samuel, these guys were priests for Israel. And, and, and at the time, it was a very specific role. It was only a few people went into the Holy of Holies to make sacrifices on behalf of God's people, the Israelites. And so when that happened, there would be this goat or a, you know, a, a lamb, some kind of sacrificial animal that would be offered up and, and as a burnt uh, offering. And so all throughout the camp, there'd be this aroma, this like kind of barbecue basically smells of like, oh, hey, the priests are, are sacrificing this animal on our behalf. And it was very specific to these people. And God says in the Mosaic Covenant, look, I'm going to, I'm going to apply this same idea of priesthood to everybody in the camp. This is incredibly impactful, especially when you start thinking about how it applies to us today. But he's basically saying, hey, look, we are all created in the Imago Dei. We are all created in God's image. And so that means anywhere we go, anywhere you go, Christian, you are a living, breathing representation of who God is and his presence in that area. And so when you go to work, when you work at Starbucks or work on campus or uh, do your job in construction or do that three-hour commute back and forth to work or, or, or serve as a, as a pastor or as a student, whatever the context is for you, you are a living, breathing uh, representation of, of who God is, his spirit in that place. And he says, you are a priesthood, a kingdom of, of priests. And, and so realize, church, that you are meant to draw people in. That, that aroma that the priests would send out through camp when that animal was, was, was even sacrificed. We are to also be that fragrant aroma wherever we are. That people would see us and say, hey, there's something really different about the way you live. There's something very different about the way you treat people and how you are living out your faith. You were not just saved to be comfortable 
or to have a happy life. You were, you were saved. Jesus died to make you a missionary. And that's part of this calling of being a kingdom of priests. And so we see in verse 9, 7 through 9, that Israel gathers up their leaders and they, they agree. Good thing, right? So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. The Israelites get a new identity. They get a new purpose. They get new marching orders. And so do we, church. We have a new identity because of what Christ has done for us. That we can step into ministry in these ways. That we can be that aroma, that fragrant uh, sense that people know that we're different because of Jesus. The last thing I want you to see here, kind of going out of order here a little bit, but I mentioned verse 5 earlier. And one of the things that the covenant also does for us is it makes clear what God expects from us. What does God expect from us in our, our living out this covenant? One of the best um, marriage bits of advice I got um, early on was this idea of expectations. And it's simply, it's expectations unsaid always go unmet. Maybe you've heard some version of that before, that if you don't state out loud what you expect from your spouse or from a friend or even at work or whatever, um, there's a good chance that you'll be disappointed at some point. And so God makes it very clear here He's like, hey, here are my expectations. Here's what I want from you, people of God, Israelites, the church today. Listen, here's what I want. I want you to obey my commandments. That's what I expect. Obedience. Obedience. And there's this conditional statement here in verse 5 that I skipped over, but let's look back at it in in 19.5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. Okay, so before some of you maybe are like, well, what's going on here? Is this conditional statement mean that God is expecting us to perform before we're blessed? Kind of, in a way. And it's important, though, that we get the order here correctly, all right? So lean in and listen to what I'm saying here. There's this condition of like, look, it's twofold. First of all, obey my laws and commands. Secondly, be, um, be faithful. Keep my commandment for the long run. That's what he's saying here. And then as a result, then you will be blessed. Now, what he's not saying, though, is that if you obey my commandments, then I will deliver you. That's different. Okay, so uh, God didn't say uh, at the beginning, you know, Exodus 2 or something, that he came to the camp in, uh, in, in Egypt and said, uh, hey, Israelites, I will pull you out of slavery and deliver you if you obey my commandments. Well, no, that's not what he does. That's legalism, right? That's the law before the gospel. So, so that's not what he does. What he says is, I will deliver you. You didn't deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. I'm going to save you. And as a result, then you obey. It's, it's very important we understand the order here because this is really the crux of the gospel in many ways. And it's easy for us to sometimes be off mission because at times if you take a gospel-centered Christian, somebody who understands the right ordering of, of salvation, then obedience, then blessing, and if you take that person and they're living out their life, oftentimes it can appear that they are simply focusing on the rules, that they're law-oriented. And then over here, you take somebody who is not gospel-centered, and they're legalistic, and they're thinking about, how do I please God, and how do I, uh, how do I make him happy with me? Well, this Christian and, and this person sometimes appears to be doing the same things. But they, this person has the order off. 
And it's important that we see this in Exodus 19, that the gospel is, is plainly stated through this, that it's easy for us to get things out of order, but he says, hey, don't do this. Truly, there's a blessing coming to you if you obey, because I saved you first. Psalm 16, 5 through 11, um, we don't have time today, but I encourage you guys, write that down in your notes. Um, look back at it sometime, because King David actually talks at length about the blessing that obedience is. Because oftentimes we think as Christians or maybe, you know, recovering legalists or whatever, that obedience is this burden on our shoulders. And it's like, ah, God just wants me to perform. And David nails it in, in Psalm 16. And so I encourage you guys to read that because he says, look, basically there's freedom in obedience. There's freedom in knowing the rules. And God can bless you through that. So as we look at the rest of 19, the rest of this 10 through 15 is really just preparation. God says, hey, be ready to receive the law. Be ready to receive the rest of the covenant. Be ready to receive the Ten Commandments, which we'll jump into, by the way, the rest of the fall here at Foothill. Be ready. Prepare yourselves. Get ready to be consecrated, to be holy, to live in my presence. And if you do so, I will, I will finish this covenant with you and give you the rules to life. And so he says, don't block the mountain. Don't come up to it. You know, don't, don't be intimate with a woman. That's what that means, by the way, in, in verse 15. It's nothing to do with, nothing anti-woman or anything. It's simply that God is saying, hey, I want you to be completely dialed in. That nothing would distract you from being holy in front of me. Because I'm holy. And God says, look, if, if I'm holy, I want you to try and be holy as we interact with this covenant together. As we close, I just want to remind you kind of what happens here, kind of throughout the rest of, of, of biblical history here. Because it's important that we do not get in mind, like, wow, the Israelites are really special. Wow, they really, they deserve to be in that covenant with the Lord. That's, that's not at all what ends up happening. And if you know the story, you know that despite all these preparations— Despite all this kind of um, this instructions when it comes to receiving the covenant, the people of Israel mess it up. They don't accomplish it. In fact, they fall short almost immediately, which is good news for us because we do the same thing too. And so in, in some ways, this covenant in Exodus 19 is not uh, meant to be told kind of as a one-time story. It's, it's actually a projection uh, that goes through the rest of the Bible because uh, Israelites could have never accomplished this on their own. In fact, it wasn't for 1,600 years later when, when Jesus was born, a, a baby, condescended from heaven to earth for us. And it was Jesus who was the one who actually completed the Mosaic Covenant. It was Jesus who was the one who actually lived the life we were to live and, and do ministry and die the death that we were supposed to deserve. It was Jesus who paid the price. It was Jesus who kept the law and kept the covenant for us. And he did it all so that we could be made near to God. That's why Jesus came, to fulfill the law and for us to have a relationship with the Father. What good news that is. And as we consider the, the contents of this covenant, what a powerful reminder of how God saves all of us, how he, how he holds us, how he carries us when we need him. Let's bow our heads together as we ask God to remind us of these things. God, we are grateful. We're grateful, Lord, that you have sought fit to give us this living, breathing kind of narrative example in Exodus 19 of what you are currently, even in this room right now, doing in the hearts of, of people who are hearing my voice. God, we're grateful that 
you made a way, that you saved, that you delivered, and that you give us a new identity. God, I, I pray that we would step into that. Lord, for those of us who are Christians already, God, may, may it induce worship in our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would respond in worship, that we would respond in right living, that we would love your commands and love to obey what you say because you have delivered us. God, for those who are, are maybe hearing this for the first time, God, I pray that it would, it would call us to repent of sin and realize that we've been doing our own thing for many years, for our whole lives. And because of your, your grace to us, we don't have to live for ourselves anymore or try to accomplish things on our own any longer. And so God, would you draw hearts to yourself this morning in the same way that you, you brought the Israelites close and you brought us close, Lord, in salvation, Lord, would you draw new hearts to yourself and open eyes to salvation? We praise your name, amen.